Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right, it's time to bring in our guest this week here on Inside Boxing Live, Jamel Herring, the fighting Marine, Semper Fi, who we go, biggest fight of your life. Is that a safe uh, thing to say, Jamel? Um, uh, yeah, safe on paper, at least. It seems that way. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with you. So how's everything going? Uh, I know that this fight, um, there's a lot at stake here. It's your fourth defense of the WBO Super Featherweight title. I know this me- means a lot to you, but... This is big. This is a big fight for you. You've wanted uh, to get on this this type of stage, and and now it's here. Uh, does it feel like after all you've been through the the you know the ups and downs? Uh, how many th- times did the fight get, get postponed with, with uh, in in your last fight with, with Frampton? Do you feel like now this is finally coming into the place where you want to be? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It actually feels kind of weird because, like you pointed <laughs> out. Um, I haven't had any postponements for this fight. Uh, even even in the last fight before the friends fight, remember I had to go through the COVID situation mm-hmm. and postponement the postponement with that one. So for this fight, it seemed like everything was just you know went together in place with no interruption. So and it feels good. And I noticed in the background we got Herring Roach playing in the background. So I there got, you go. <laughs> I, I seen the foot movements. I already knew I got easy <laughs> putting that out. But that's but crazy. Yeah, no, it, it feels good. It feels good. That's crazy. You can see that. Just the foot movement. You knew it was you or you know it was Rush? Oh, yeah. I, 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 both. Uh, both. That's just, that just my eye. That's just how good my eye is. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. That means that you're on point. Uh, that's what you oh, want to yeah, be definitely. heading into the fight, right? Definitely. Definitely. Especially for a fight this big. Um, I'm, like I said, again, you definitely have to be on point. You have to be sharp. But I don't know. For some reason, I, I just feel like I'm in a good place. I'm in a good mood because you you know personally I've been I've been through worse. I've been I've been in situations where people didn't even care to see or hear about you fighting or your fight coming up. So I'm definitely I'm definitely feeling um, you know grateful to actually be placing another big fight in the same year against an, another good opponent. Yeah, that must be like kind of a trip though to to by your own admission, like being in fights that like the general public you know could take it or leave it, and then just a few years later you're making your fourth offense of a title. You're fighting. Uh, a guy that many see as like a future pound for pound a type of guy. It's on ESPN. It's in the middle of a great boxing schedule. Do you have to like pinch yourself sometimes to feel like you got to this level or do you feel like this is where I always wanted to be? Um, so, no, sometimes, sometimes I have to pinch myself because like I said, um, let's just go back to 2016 um, when I, my first defeat, the friend, I mean, the, the Dennis Shavikov. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people then, they wrote me off and I, I myself didn't even, you know, at times, and see myself being where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. But I just never gave up on myself. And, and to even go back to the, the Frampton fight, remember 2016 was a big year for Frampton. He was the fighter of the year. You know, he was the fight. He was the guy everyone was speaking about, you know, mm-hmm. the quick fight, the, the, the Santa Cruz, the first Santa Cruz fight. So he was, you know, he was having the best year of his career. And I was probably having one of the worst years of my career. But we've seen how the road still led to where I met him and I put on one of the best performances of my career. So it's just funny how how boxing and things play out at times. Yeah, it's interesting because 2016, you were still with PBC, correct? Yes, sir. So, so many things can change, and everyone gets so fixated. I think you dropped out for a sec. 
Nope, I know. Good. Somebody's trying to call. All right, start for sec- start from the top right there. In 2016, you were with PBC, correct? Right. Right. So that's the funny thing too, is in boxing, everyone's like, man, a loss does this. A, a fighter gets dropped from a promotion. That means that they're pretty much just on the scrap heap and they're almost forgotten about. But you linked up with Top Rank and you go on and on and on, uh, you know, picking up a world title and, and doing it like that. That just shows like your career to me could be like a uh, like a learning point. For, for younger fighters that it's not just always right. going to be like a, you know, a, a can't miss prospect that rises the ranks and everything is just perfect every step of the way. And then they retire right. with millions. Right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And not only did I make the change from um, PPC to top rank, but I had to make the change in my corner with Brian McIntyre, Red mm-hmm. Spikes, Eastside, Eastside Odiegas in the gang, and you know, who, who worked closely with, with Terrence Crawford, as we know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's just all, all about, you know what you take from your experience and, and and you have to make those adjustments along the way and i felt like i felt that as we know boxing again it's a small it's a small window of opportunity and you sometimes you gotta you gotta um, get out of your comfort zone and take risk and you know to, to get where you want to be at and i believe i i i've taken the necessary risk and, and here i am now now i'm making the fourth defense of my title i mean people won't even even believe at one point in time i was going to even fight for a title so to make the fourth defense of your title it just says a lot, especially in today in today's um, era of boxing. No, it's impressive because belts change hands like nothing. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm just coming into this year. I was, I think I'm the only, like, if you go from 2020 to the champions from 2020 to going into 2021, I think I'm the only champion that came from 2020 mm-hmm. with my title in hand. I mean, like I said, my good friend, Jojo Diaz, he lost his title on the, on, on the scale. Um, we see what happened with Miguel Bachelet with Valdez fight. Mm-hmm. Um, Javante Davis um, vacated his title to, 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 to move up in weight. So it was like, I'm like, out of, out of that group, if you look at the landscape now, I'm the only one that's still, that's still standing. That's wild, man. <laughs> you brought up those two losses, the only two blemishes on your career. It was You lost uh, two, two out of three, 2016, 2017. Right. But the common denominator with those losses, what they were southpaws. And right. of course, Stevenson is a southpaw. So southpaw. how much, how much uh, was a point of emphasis was that, you know, finding southpaw sparring partners and does that stick it to the back of your mind? Are you using that as like a jumping off point or like, I, that's something I've seen before? Or is it just going to be something where, you know what, like southpaws, I, I got to land that jab. It's hard to land a jab on a southpaw. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's just one of the things where, um, I mean, I kept that in mind, but again, with those two defeats, I was with a whole different team at the time that, and, now I'm with a team that has one of the best southpaws or switch hitters in the game, which is Terrence Crawford. So, you know, I walked alongside with Bud for years now to where, you know, I actually did fight a guy, um, I believe, when I first, my second fight with them, no, a third fight with them, and that was a, um, a southpaw. And, you know, it seemed kind of easier than, because I've been working, again, I've been like sparring and working alongside Terrence so long that I started picking up on things. Because even, like, they, they even say, like, it's even weird for southpaws to see other southpaws. That's a rare thing. So, when you, but when you have one of the best in the game with you in the gym all the time, mm-hmm. okay, you start to pick up on traits that, you know, that you normally wouldn't see at times from a, a conventional fighter. But, no, I, I really don't even stress that. I mean, it's, it's funny because today, actually, that, that actually was pointed out to me. I seen somebody mention it on, on, on Twitter, but... It doesn't bother me because, um, like I said, again, I have one of the best teams. To, um, we came up with a great game plan, and I'm actually anxious to implement that game plan. I just have to, um, of course, again, with Shakur, you got to be sharp um, mm-hmm. throughout the entire fight. But that's what makes the um, that's what makes the sport of boxing so great. Because if you can pull off 
these huge victories, you know, it did a lot for your career. And Absolutely. instead of instead of me being afraid of the task, I'm 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 running towards it. That's great. That's a good mentality to have. You brought up bring up Brian McIntyre, and that's this is, uh, I think you're six and zero with him. And what we've noticed at CompuBox is your punch volume has gone up drastically since you've linked up with McIntyre, throwing 55 punches per round over your last six fights. It was, I think you were hovering around 42 to 45 range before that. And to me, I think that's what's going to be key in this fight is when you watch Stevenson opponents, you know, they don't really throw a lot of punches at him. They don't really push him. He's never been in the ring with someone with the experience level uh, that you have. Do you feel like that's something you're going to be throwing at, at Stevenson that he hasn't seen yet? Like, a, you know, something that's going to punch back. It's funny. I feel like for this fight, I may, I may even throw more punches than when I which, which the average, the, the average numbers you just supposed to you just put out. Mm-hmm. But for that reason, for that, for that reason, um, I mean, no disrespect to him or anything, but I would say if you let Shakur do what he wants to do, he's going to cruise with the bare minimum of times and just take round by round, just doing what he wants to do. But if you actually go out there. Because we've seen it just a little bit in this last fight. When when the guy made him uncomfortable, you know, that's when you started seeing a different aspect of Shakur when he, when he was on, on more on his feet and moving in a, in a circle, you know, just trying to get away. And that's when you started seeing that his punch count started dropping. Yeah. I, I think and I think to like the mid to late rounds started dropping. I believe someone said like maybe 25 punches per round. That's which, exactly which, it. I mean, you should get a job yeah, with see? those compy box. <laughs> see, yeah, so 25 these, thrown these, per round. I mean, that's, again, that's I, again, I, I, again, but these, like you pointed out earlier, these are things, that's great observation. These are things that I see. So even with, with the numbers I've been throwing out, which is basically doubled, more than doubled than when he's throwing, I still feel like I have to still do more to win those rounds convincingly and make him uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. that's why, that's why I'm so, actually I'm so hyped in like, motivated for this fight because I want to I want to improve and, and see for myself that I can show a different aspect of, of my own fight game I mean even like I, I would say the people with every fight that I've had under Brian McIntyre we always came with different game plans we didn't fight every fight the same way like I didn't fight Carl Frampton the way I fought my secret eater you know what I mean so it, like and that just comes with being a smart fighter you can't go in there doing the same thing from your last fight and expecting to work for the next fight. And that's just yeah. that person that I am. Frampton fight, I thought, was one of the best championship performances uh, that we've seen in, in recent uh, times or, you know, in the last two, three years. Everything was working for you that that night. I mean, your uh, punch volume, I think you landed over 40% of your power shots. Jab was there. You know, you're throwing combinations. So that's a lot of momentum heading into this fight. Where on the other side of things, Stevenson obviously has looked great. I mean, the guy's really hard to hit. He's only getting hit right. with four punches landed per round. But on the other hand, uh, your opponents are only, uh, you know, landing seven punches landed on you. So it's very rare that we see a fight where we have two guys that are like defensive wizards. Uh, it's going to be a, a, I think it's going to be like a little bit of a chess match. But if you say that you're going to come in I'm glad, and, I'm, and throw I'm glad more punches. I'm glad you pointed out that, Dan, because I, I, I think, at one point in time, I was getting credit for those low numbers that were being hit on me. But lately, a lot of people haven't been giving me credit on, on the punches that, you know, the, the the low number of punches that are hitting me. I think if you look back on the, the Edo fight, I believe that um, Tim Tim Bradley pointed out through the copy box that, like, I think he was only landing like 9% mm-hmm. uh, uh, midway through the fight of his punches. So that goes to show you that, you know, I could be defensive as well, but I feel like I could be more aggressive and willing to take chances as well also. And that's just the type of fighter that I am. Like, even when I got cut with the Panther fight, I got more aggressive, but I still was smart 
enough to uh, um, evade and, and worry about the, the attack coming from him. Yeah, it's all, it all comes with experience. It all comes with you yeah. have the experience edge uh, in, in this fight. So I'm interested to see how you implement all the things that we just talked about, defense, you know, h- higher punch volume, accuracy and all that. But how about the the non-in-ring stuff, the stuff outside <laughs> the ring? The, the juicy stuff. The juicy, the juicy stuff. stuff. The stuff we love <laughs> to talk about on Twitter. I know you're an active member on Twitter. And I don't know if it's just the case anymore, but it was the case in the lead-up of the first or the only press conference you guys had, I know you'll have one this week. He said some things, you know, like he doesn't have a heart, he doesn't have this. Uh, that got people upset because they know that if anything, like you should never challenge uh, Jamel Meherring's heart. Like, what do you, what did your, what was your read on that? Dan, you know me, I, I, I love interacting with everyone on social media. So it, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me now because it's funny that you point out up until the press conference because that's exactly what I thought to myself as well. It was a lot of bitter words, and I was kind of confused because at, at one point I was, I was saying to myself, like, well, we never had any issues in the past. Like, every time every time we see each other, it's been mutual respect. I mean, right. we was just together rooting, you know, Terrence during the Brook fight. We was in the same room together, you know, laughing and joking. So there was no issues there. So I, I was just taking it as maybe they're just build-up talk or boxing talk. So I, I didn't pay any mind. But then it was like, when I seen him personally for the first time during a press conference, it seemed like everything, like the tune changed up. Cause even now I don't really see much trash talking as I did before, you know, that press conference. So I don't, that's why like for me, it didn't bother me. I, I don't know if he was trying to win the mental aspect, but I think in the end it kind of hurt him mentally because like you pointed out, everybody started coming at him negatively. And, and, and you could tell, you could clearly see, it was bothering him more than anything. And all, all I did was just sit back and just be quiet. I didn't go out there on social media not once, even, you know, you know, dragging his name through the mud. I just I just sat back and just, you know, just continued doing my own thing. But I think it was one of those moments where it kind of like on his end, it kind of crashed and it failed. And so that, I think that's why he's been kind of a little bit more quiet mm-hmm. from a, from a certain aspect. But I don't I, I don't I don't care. Like I told him at the press conference, we, the contract has been signed, you know, we could talk all we want, but at the end of the day, uh, all that matters is what happens in the ring. So that's how I look at things. Yeah, it's 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 all part of the the buildup. Like we've seen, like with Wilder and Fury, like that was like the rare case where that was real. That was some real animosity, and I think fans have have gotten to the point where they can detect fake from real. Exactly. Like, exactly. To, like, beefs like Canelo Plant. That was real. Like that slap was real. That that was yeah. like you can't unless if it wasn't real, then Canelo and Plant should be acting. They shouldn't be boxing. They should be going up WWE, for WWE or writing for the WWE. But yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Like when when I see when people see things, it looks kind of forced. It doesn't look good for anyone. So I'm I, and that's what I said. I, I I can't jump at a character for a fake beef that mm-hmm. I have no idea where it even came from. Like okay. I understand you want to be um, a two-time, two-divisional world champion. That's fine. I mean, I would like to be uh, again a two-time, you know, two-divisional world champion. We all want to. We all want to have our, our goals asked, but it's just the way you go about it. People look at it like, hold up, like you were just guys just taking pictures together, laughing and joking. Now, yeah, not even, not even half a year later, there's an issue. So, like, and people yeah. see, and, and and the fans seen through it. So that's why I kind of mean we're kind of just backfiring. But since the press conference, I haven't. Cause honestly, I don't really, I don't really go out there and look for the stuff anyway. But I haven't seen or anything brought to my attention of anything being, you know, crazy coming from his end. So I just let it be what it is. 
Yeah, fans are uh, – you can't fool boxing fans. That's one thing no. I, I've learned over the years is you can't fool them. They know what's real. Uh, and, and now that's going to be a, a big storyline in this fight is going to be the familiarity between the two camps. There's a lot of synergy. Uh, Terrence Crawford, I'm sure, is going to be a big focal point of on fight night and Brian McIntyre and both camps know each other really well. Uh, so Bud hates it. I'll tell you. I, I'll tell you right now. Bud hates that. I'm glad. Yeah, it's like choosing he, your favorite kid. He, right? hate, he hates the idea of this fight. He told me he put me to the side during camp um, about how I was feeling about it. And I, and at the time, I was just saying, listen to me. It just, I'm not looking at it as a personal aspect. I just said it's, it's, it's another fight. It's a, it's a big fight, but it's another fight. I'm not looking in. I'm not diving deep into because I know him personally. That you know, my, I'm not putting my emotions in it. I just look at it as. It's a fighter that's basically trying to take something that I I work hard for, and that's it. And he was just telling me, like, man, if I if it's if if it's up to him, he would have rather had me see me fighting somebody like like a Valdez, of course. But you know, like I said, business is business. Um, and we just have to take care of things and do what we gotta do. Hopefully, things you know will 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 ease afterwards. But right now, I gotta take care it's of business. business this weekend. Yeah, it's business. Yeah. It, it, he understands that. But do you think will he be in attendance? I know he likes to attend fights, but he's also has a fight coming up. Um, I think he will, but I think he's trying to wait to like the very last moment. But I think he'll probably be. I think I think I think he'll be here Thursday, Thursday evening or so. But he'll slide ready. in like Buffer does yeah. before he does. He'll slide. Yeah, exactly. His his only Buffer only has to work that main event, so maybe Bud will will slide in and just appear and then uh, watch with one eye open. I'm gonna watch with both eyes because I I can't wait for this fight. Uh, I've been looking forward to it for a while now. It's gonna kick off a great stretch of boxing from here until the end of the year. Uh, Jamel Herring, I look forward to watching your fight. Best of luck and uh, win or lose. You are a, a, a fan friendly fighter. And uh, I think uh, you have the respect of all boxing Twitter, boxing fans, the whole <laughs> boxing community. So uh, best of luck and we'll have to catch up soon, man. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you. All right, let's bring in our panelists this week. Current Bhatia, you know him as the experts podcast. You see him on Ring City. You see him uh, everywhere uh, these days, and he's back with us here on Inside Boxing Live for a segment we have done a lot in the past. Usually it's the standing eight count, but since Jarrell Herring was so damn interesting, uh, on the, we're going to hear from that in, in a little bit. We're consolidating it down to five. So standing eight count, but the fighter got up at five, and the fight's going back on. Kern, what's up, man? How you doing? How's it going, Dan? Excited to do this. Yeah, standing five count. That's interesting. It's like it's like Fury heard the count of nine twice in the first fight. I guess we're doing the count of five here. I don't know. There's there's some relation there. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I couldn't come up with any puns for five. Five. Uh, yeah. I don't have any, but if it was Fury, you know, it's a slow count. So usually that he got like twenty seconds, right? Or he got like thirty seconds. Is that where we're going with now? Let's. Well, let's. Hit, I got one for you. Okay. In uh, early on fights, uh, when people are starting off in their career, sometimes it's four rounds. A lot of people yeah. like to see that being five rounds because then you can have a more decisive scorecard, usually a three to two in one way. So, so that's why we, so why we have you here, Karen. Uh, let's get into it. There's a lot going on in the boxing world, some in the ring stuff, some out of the ring stuff. Let's start it off with a fight that we're going to see this week on ESPN. Shakur Stevenson and Jamel Herring for Jamel Herring's WBO Super Featherweight title. It's his fourth defense. You're going to hear from Herring uh, later on uh, in this episode, but 
It's a good fight. It's a fight that kind of snuck up on us. I think everyone has their attention to Crawford Porter or Canelo, or people are still talking about Wilder versus Fury, and they're forgetting that uh, that Jamel Herring is going to give Shakur Stevenson the toughest test to date, or at least I, I think so. Uh, a fighter in Herring that has been through a lot. You know uh, his his backstory, uh, being the fighting Marine and everything with uh, family stuff with, with his daughter, and now coming into his own at age thirty five. Uh, I get into the numbers, throwing like 55 punches around. I don't think Stevenson has faced a fighter like that. But on the other hand, Jacor Stevenson, one of the best offensive fighters in boxing, uh, I think it will be a little bit of a chess match. Uh, there's also a lot of familiarity between the two camps. I mean, it's a lot of synergy here. Uh, he spent Both fighters have spent time in each other's camps before this. Both fighters look at uh, Terrence Crawford as like a, a mentor type or, or a friend. Brian McIntyre has helped out. With Shakur Stevenson, there's a lot of synergy with this fight. Uh, what are your thoughts on this upcoming scrap? Yeah, Jamel Herring versus Shakur Stevenson. I mean, I guess you could call this your classic youth versus experience, right? This is only going to be Shakur Stevenson's 17th pro fight. He's 24 years old. I think that's a good thing because we don't want to see these fighters go to 20 and 0, 25 and 0 against nobodies, right? We want them to be tested, right? That's that's the beauty of boxing, and that's happening. He's getting a massive test here in Jamel Herring, who's 35 years old. They're both southpaws. That's going to be interesting. Uh, they're both trending upwards, which is awesome, right? We know that Herring had the big win against Frampton. That was great. That was earlier this year. And we know Stevenson undefeated. So he's trending upwards as well. They've both been active through the pandemic, right? This isn't like a case where a guy hasn't fought pre before the pandemic or anything like that. Um, if the question is who wins and why, well, I mean, right now, Stevenson is listed as a minus 900 favorite across a bunch of books. So, I mean, if you're not, if you're doing it without the odds, it's probably looks like it's going to be Stevenson. He's got the youth. He's got the quickness. He's got the speed, but we know that Jamel Herring is dangerous. We saw what he did to Frampton. Um, he's got the military background. Like you said, he used to be a Marine. Um, so, I mean, it's a very competitive fight. It's, it's a fantastic fight. I'm looking forward to it. If you have, if I have to choose, I'm going to take Stevenson, uh, but anything could happen. And then that's why we love, that's why we love matchups like this. Yeah. I want to see Herring push Stevenson. Uh, like you said that both fighters are trending upward. I agree to a certain extent. I think, Stevenson, his last performance left a lot to be desired, throwing 25 punches around. A lot of people shut off the fight because he was not he simply was not engaging. And maybe he needs like a bigger, uh, you know, opponent or a bigger name or someone that he feels like is a worthy opponent to step on the gas pedal. That's Shakur Stevenson. And he's certainly going to get that uh, with Herring. You're going to hear from Herring in a little bit on this episode. He talked about how he wants to up his punch volume because since he is linked up with Brian McIntyre, he's six and zero with two knockouts. Uh, he's coming up when he was coming off of those two consecutive losses early on in his career, which came at the hands of two southpaws too, which is another narrative in this fight though. But he, when he talked about, and I told him your punch stats are like around 48 punches around, which is, you know, around the average, but since you linked up with McIntyre, you've upped it close to 60. And he goes, you know what? I actually want to throw more punches than 60 landed per round. So that's going to be interesting to me. Like, yes, obviously, uh, Stevenson is the favorite in this fight. But to me, like, you can never count out Jamel Herring. This is a guy that's been counted out time and time again. No one picked him to, to win a title. No one picked him to even be in title contention. So uh, that narrative should be interesting. And the fact uh, with the numbers, seeing uh, Herring step on the gas pedal and push Stevenson, uh, who is uh, one of the best defensive fighters in the game, that's something I want to keep an eye on. I think however Stevenson gets it done in this fight 
it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, I think we'd like to see him definitely be more active, but when you're fighting this level of opponent, I think if you're able to just outclass the guy and get the win, I think that's mm -hmm. going to be a, a huge check mark on his resume. And I, and, and I know that we can talk about him having to throw more, right? But that may be a thing, get through this big test. Uh, at only 24 years old. And then let's talk about that in the future, if and when you get through this test. Um, there's also some interesting names on the undercard. We got N uh, Nico Ali Walsh. He's Muhammad Ali's grandson. I'm sure we've all heard the story. And Xander Zayas, the 19-year-old phenom, he's on the undercard. So it's just, I mean, it's something that we talk about a lot. It's 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 the good time in boxing. It's coming off the heels of the big Fury Wilder trilogy. Um, and and the fact that we have another good card this weekend on ESPN, I mean, that's that's great for, for boxing fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're kicking off the juicy part of the schedule. From now until Christmas Day, there's an actual fight on Christmas Day this year. There's It's every weekend here on out. This is an intriguing matchup between two guys that know each other pretty well. I'm jacked up for it. We're going to see. It also ramifications in the division. The winner of this should get Oscar Valdez. And I wanted to see Valdez fight Herring. Uh, Herring's going to have to earn it the hard way. Once again, nothing in his career has been easy. I'm looking forward to it. Current on the other side of things, we're going to talk about Mikey Garcia. Does he? Is it time to hang it up for Mikey Garcia? What should he do? It's coming up next. All right. Let's get to topic number two. We know that... Mikey Garcia tasted defeat. This is the second time he's tasted defeat, but the first time was to Errol Spence, uh, who's maybe a little bit more well-known in America, we should say. Um, so this time we know Mikey Garcia lost. Uh, and, and I'm going to ask you, Dan, is this the end of the road for Garcia and what he should do? Maybe he wants to move back down to 140. But before I do, let me give you some of my thoughts. Uh, Sergio Mora tweeted out that Mikey Garcia had the choice between a couple opponents. Some of those were Chris Algieri, Thomas Delorme, Ivan Golub. Uh, maybe in, in retrospect, you know, hindsight is 2020, but maybe he should have gone for versus some other opponents. I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on how we think he would have fared. And, and that a lot of people are pointing to inactivity. Uh, they felt like maybe he didn't look the way he used to look. Now, one thing I'll say, as I visited uh, the camp that Mikey Garcia works out in uh, earlier this year, this was in February, and I, Mikey Garcia was in the gym working out hard. Uh, so it's not like he's been extremely inactive or completely inactive, right? He has been training, um, but obviously that didn't show up in the way that we wanted to see it on Saturday night. Um, he, it, it's, it's tough because when you lose to, when you move up two weight classes and lose to Errol Spence, right? We're all going to say, well, that makes sense. Cause you moved up two weight classes and you lost to one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. When you lose to someone who is w less known, uh, we're going to ask the questions like, is this the end of the road for Mikey Garcia? So Dan, is this the end of the road for Mikey Garcia? I think it's the end of the road as Mikey Garcia, the welterweight. I think this experiment is over now. Uh, lost every round to Errol Spence, no matter how many times he can raise his fist after the round. He lost. That was one of the most one-sided beatdowns I have ever seen. I was there at Jerry World. It was, it was bad. And he took time off. He made a lot of money for that fight. He got criticized, too. Daring to be great narrative. That whole thing. Everyone, I at least thought it was he was biting off a little more than, than he could chew. He came back. He beat Jesse Vargas, who, let's be honest, was a good fighter in his day, but is well past it. So it wasn't like he had this great run at welterweight. So now mix that in with the inactivity. Uh, he balloons up in weight and he's on the north side of 30. You saw that in the ring against Sandor uh, Martinez, who, who Sandor Martin, excuse me, who was just just more active. The guy was his third fight uh, of the year. He was just, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing fight. They were under, you know, 80 connects for, for each guy. But Mikey Garcia simply wasn't letting his hands go. Now, if he moves down to 140, you can get away with throwing less punches if they have something on it. Like he has a lot of power for a 140 pounder. I just don't think he has that at 147. I think he needs to get rid of that. But it also comes down to desire. 
that's something where it's always been the case for Mikey Garcia is by his own admission, he doesn't really love boxing anymore. Think about it. He was born into this boxing family. Uh, his brother is one of the best trainers in the world. Uh, his whole family, it's not this boxing nonstop since he was probably came out of the womb. So that takes a toll on a guy. He's made a lot of money. Uh, he's had like, you know, four division uh, champions. So he has the accolades there. Now it just comes down to desire because do you want to, you know, take on two fights in a row or you're not facing top competition? He's got 1.5 million. For this fight, 1.5 million to fight Sander Martin uh, uh, from 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 Eddie Hearn. There are a lot of intriguing names at 140 uh, that he could do that, and he could maybe just jump right into a big name there since he is a big name himself. But uh, I, I think it comes down to desire. I think it comes down to does he want to do that? Does he want to go down to 140? And does he want to potentially have to go the hard route uh, to get a big time fight again? After we end these segments, I'm going to raise my hand and just you know, <laughs> another good round. Hand. Yes, exactly. Um, well, one thing about Mikey is uh, in terms of his punching accuracy, this is something that Robert Garcia said. He's so technically sound and his punches are so accurate that that actually leads to powerful punches and that they land in such a good spot. Um, so that's that's an interesting thing to think about in, in, in terms of his his game, in terms of moving up in weight versus other fighters where maybe it's a power thing. Um, he's been doing this for a long time. As you mentioned, it's a fighting family. Robert Garcia, his brother, Eduardo Garcia, they're, they're father who's like the patriarch of the family bringing mm -hmm. them all uh into the boxing game he mentioned during the broadcast they were they were asking him 10 questions he said he, he had to start sparring at five years old right so he's he's been doing this for a long time or at least that was the first time he was punched in the face at there's least. a lot of That's miles on that odometer there is a lot of miles now should you know is this end of, the end of the road well it depends on desire i personally don't think it is should he move down to 140 maybe yeah maybe that'll be a good like mental reset of like okay let me you know go back to the drawing board and let me just say well i lost those fights because they were over 140 pounds and if i'm fighting south uh, they, you know fighting south of that 140 pound, 47 pound limit maybe good things will happen i don't know the question is about the desire and does he want to do this i think he does and i also think i think he'll fight at 140 unless there's a good opportunity, right? He's in this for the business part of it now, right? The, the, the money is probably attractive. We've seen him sit out years with contractual problems. He, he wasn't a guy that just said, put me in there, I wanna fight. He mm -hmm. wants to make smart business moves. So if there's a smart business move at 147 pounds, he'll probably do that. If not, he'll probably stick to 140. There, there are a lot of smart business moves at 140. He can fight any of the 135ers that wanna move up, like Ryan Garcia, Tifimo Lopez, any of those guys, Devin Haney wants to move up to 140. He can fight Mikey Garcia at 140. You know, Vasily Lomachenko, that fight's still out there. Uh, there's Jose uh, Jose Ramirez. There's Josh Taylor. There's a ton of names from like 135 to 140 that could potentially move up to 143. And of course, the, the pro-grade fight can still be rekindled. But I think that that he has to win another fight. He, he can show himself to, you know, be, be a little more dedicated in the gym and then come back, take another fight, win, and then you can entertain some of the names uh, that I just threw around. All right, Kern. Also on the card this past weekend that we saw on the zone, it wasn't like the biggest card in terms of names. Mikey Garcia versus a relative unknown who is now a big time known, Sander Martin beating uh, Mikey Garcia. But there was an altercation, not between drunken fans in the crowd. It was Devin Haney and Tiafimo Lopez. This is a stroke of genius by the team matchroom. Almost like a social experiment. Let's get these two guys in front of a camera. Let's put them together and see what happens. You know, now Matchroom has the rights to the TFMO versus Cambosos. They have promotional rights uh, to Devin Haney. They have for a while now. Let's beat the drum a little bit. Let's throw this on Twitter. Let's see what the fans have to say. I think overwhelmingly fans with one big shrug 
one big eye roll, more of these four kings. I'm using that very loosely. If you're listening, I'm using air quotes, four kings. Uh, they're just tired of them and they don't want to see it anymore. They want to hear from anyone. They just want to see them fight. But there were some like interesting tidbits to come out of this. I posted something on, on Twitter. I did not edit this clip. I just want to make that very clear. But it was Haney talking to Tiafimo that I have more followers than you. I make more money. Tiafimo bouncing back with you. Well, I have the belts. I have like, you know, arguably four of the belts. You're, you got yours from, uh, you know, being emailed. There was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot to digest from this. I ultimately thought it was it was a net positive because it just brought awareness. Whether you were saying that you didn't like him, whether you're saying you liked it, you were talking about Devin Haney and Tiafimo Lopez. That's the name of the game. It's always funny when Teofimo uh, calls Haney the two-time email champion. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they did bring up followers in that altercation. Uh, I, I actually looked it up. Teofimo on Twitter has 126,000 followers, okay? Haney has 122. So it's about even there. You go to Instagram, Teofimo's at 700,000. Uh, Devin Haney at 1.1 million. So Haney's got the edge, but it's not like we're in different realms. Now, what about LinkedIn? does that matter? How many I connections mean, do they have on LinkedIn? That, that I'm going to look up next and I'll report back to you. But it, it, does it really matter? I mean, Ryan Garcia has 8.8 .8 million Instagram followers. Does that mean he's the best fighter? Is he the pound for pound top fighter? No, but actually followers and engagement. I mean, it, it does matter in terms of uh, building that fan base, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's never a bad thing if you connect with your fans. Now, it doesn't matter in terms of your pound for pound ranking necessarily or what you can do in the ring. And the problem is Teofimo about a year ago, we're two days removed from the one year anniversary where he beat Lomachenko. This was a spectacular victory for the young for young Teofimo Lopez um, to catapult his career. And the problem is he hasn't fought since then. We're over a year later, and we know that Teofimo had COVID. We know about the problems. You know, it's harder to make fights in the pandemic and things like that. But we want to see this Teofimo versus Cambosis fight, right? We want to see this happen. And there's been so many issues. We mentioned COVID. Then we've mentioned uh, all the other problems in terms of where that fight was going to fall or when it would fall and things like that. Let's get that fight going, and then let's get some of these other guys in there. To your point. We want to see these guys in the ring. Now, is it a positive that they have the altercation? Yeah. In the meantime, why not? While we wait for Teofimo versus Cambosis, why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, there was a, a few takeaways from it. Engagement matters. Fan, followers, all that stuff matters 100%. But it doesn't matter to the ultimate, and that's to figure out who is the best of, of these four. But if you were to recalculate it, and you were going by, like, relevancy, and you're going into, like, if I was a promoter and you gave me a list and I had to like put them in order of who I would want to sign, giving everything, ability, uh, ability to sell tickets, ability in the ring, relevancy, all that. I think undoubtedly Tank is number one. The guy can fill arenas, got punching power, got a ton of uh, you know buzz around him. Number two, I would say Ryan Garcia. Just because of what you said, 8.8 .8 million followers, uh, you know, he brings a different type of fan base out to his fights, and he's damn good as well. Close third would be Tiafimo, and then coming in, in fourth out of, out of four would be Devin Haney. And Devin Haney has this, you know, he likes to bring up the money aspect. Like, I make more money than you. Yes, but that is based off of one company's evaluation or what one company was willing to give you at the time. And that one company was Matchroom slash DAZN. And when they gave Devin Haney that huge paycheck, it was at a time when they were relatively new in the marketplace and they were throwing out a lot of money to a lot of different fighters. Demetrius Andrade uh, being one of them, they threw, they were offered a ton of money to the Charlo brothers. They rebuffed, they were throwing out crazy money. So in a way, yes, Devin Haney is a damn good fighter and he is relevant in his own ways, but he was also like a beneficiary of a time where money was being thrown around all over the place. So he, they got to be careful with some, some of the things that they throw out uh, at each other, but we want to see them fight. 
You know, they would what? be in a perfect world. I would love to see these guys fight on the same card. And it could happen. You know, Haney versus maybe Jojo Diaz or Haney versus whoever they decide to fight. And then Tifima Campbell's on the same card. We know that Floyd Mayweather, when he came around, right, he turned this into a business, right, about winning, you know, getting these big paychecks. And a lot of fighters, younger fighters, look up to that as the model. The question is, do you want to be a successful businessman or a successful fighter? Now, you can do both, and you can pick your fights and pick your spots. But at the end of the day, do you want the glory or do you want the money? And it's okay to want either. But it seemed like that was kind of like what was behind some of this these, these discussion points when these guys had this altercation. Yeah, they just got to fight. Once we, once I, they're all relevant. <laughs> they're all relevant because of each other too. That's the funny thing. They just got to get in the damn ring. All right, let's keep it rolling. We're talking about fighters being active and we want to see them in the ring. Unfortunately, through no fault of his own, we're not going to see Ryan Garcia back in the ring for the second time in 2021. We know that he was supposed to fight earlier this year. Mental health took a mental health break. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. We, we applaud that and, and we stand by that. This time around, it's a hand injury, um, which again, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's completely out of his control. That can happen in training. So what that means is Jojo Diaz is without a dance partner here. Uh, we know Devin Haney has has come up into the the picture here and maybe offered the same amount of money as Ryan Garcia. So we'll, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if that fight comes together. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, I saw Tevin Farmer tweeted that he would be ready mid to late December. I would be down to see that rematch. I, I, I thought we saw a flat Tevin Farmer in that fight. And I would be, I'd be curious to see uh, a motivated Tevin Farmer to get another chance. But of course we want to see Haney versus Diaz. Um, and in terms of Ryan Garcia, I mean, he's got he's to heal that injury. And then there's so many options. I and mean, when we're talking about this division, it's been a large part of this show because there's, there's so many options. It's, it's, you know, these young guys, they're all, they're, all, uh, they're all doing really well in the ring. They're doing well outside of the ring. So there's a lot of different combinations that would be interesting. Dan, what do you think? Oh, man, this timeline at 135 is very confusing. It's very frustrating, but it's also very intriguing because of the names that are involved. And Jojo Diaz is a name that wasn't, normally in this picture until he moved up to 135 and had a big win in, in his, his last fight. So with Ryan Garcia being out of the picture and very much in the picture too, because uh, there were a lot of like rumors that he didn't really break his hand. He damn well posted every pro every part of the process uh, between getting to the hospital, him, a picture of him in the, in the hospital bed, picture of him afterwards. So I believe him that he did break his hand. That's unfortunate. And it says a significant injury for Ryan Garcia, but we'll be back in February. I don't think, if you're Jojo Diaz, you can wait for that. And the reason that Jojo Diaz, I believe that he took that fight with Ryan Garcia over Haney while being the mandatory for Haney, who is the actual champion, is because it has higher monetary upside fighting Ryan Garcia for Jojo Diaz. You can sell out the Staples Center. You get a piece of the live gate. Uh, it's going to do a ton of numbers on the zone because it's, it's Ryan Garcia. And you could potentially be the guy that knocks out Ryan Garcia then you have Jojo Diaz, then you have Devin Haney waiting with the belt, which is also brings a lot of money with it too. So I think that team Jojo Diaz and Golden Boy is painted into a little bit of a corner here because they offering the same amount of money. If you, uh, you got a, came from Haney, so I don't know how much you can believe of that, but the money's the same. You might not make it the same type of money on the back end, but you have a chance to win the legitimate WBC light, uh, lightweight belt or not really legitimate, but whatever. Haney has the belt and you can be the champ and then you're in the driver's seat. Jojo Diaz. So I'm interested to see what Golden Boy does with this because the Jojo Diaz Ryan Garcia fight, well, that's an in house fight. So Golden Boy, they take all the money. Now they got to share the pie 
with Eddie Hearn. They got to share it with Matchroom, which Golden Boy has always been down to do. So it's interesting to see the top, the clock is, I feel like it's ticking because now we're, we're in mid or to late October and they want to do this in December or late November. We're running out of time here. I would love to see uh, Jojo Diaz versus Devin Haney because it's like one less complicated piece of what is a very complicated situation. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely is. And, and, and something you brought up, it's like when these fighters get hurt or pull out of fights, it's now, it's almost like we're demanding to see proof, right? It's like, <laughs> like let me see what happened. Yeah, I need you to live stream that surgery. Right, exactly. We, we saw the, the photo of Errol Spence with the, you know, the eye situation when he couldn't fight Pacquiao. We saw Oscar in the hospital bed uh, when, when he had COVID. Uh, Fury said he had COVID and people were wondering like what's going on because, you know, after he got a clean bill of health, he was walking around, he seemed fine. Who knows? Um, but at the end of the day, it seems like that's what people are clamoring for. Now, we saw Ryan Garcia. He's clearly hurt. We know that that's going to happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Jojo Diaz does. In terms of Golden Boy now working with other promoters, I mean, it's, it's the type of thing is, do you want a medium part of a, you know, of a smaller pie or do you want 100% of a zero pie? Because he's going to need a dance partner at this point, it seems like, um, in terms of the people that they're talking to. Um, we know Jojo Diaz fought twice this year. So is he going to fight Devin Haney? Is he going to fight someone else? Or is he just going to sit that out and maybe wait for Ryan Garcia? Because to the, the plan that you outlined for him, you think it's advantageous to first fight Ryan Garcia, make the money, and then fight Haney. Versus no, there's a reason he chose that- Garcia. I mean, why did it, he's the mandatory. He should have fought Haney. It's the weirdest situation where the champion is kind of, I hate to use ducks, but the champion's being like avoided. It's so strange. Well, that, I guess that's, you know what, Dan, that's very surprising that something strange is going on in boxing, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> <Right>? that's great. <laughs> like Devin Haney has like the, what you, everyone wants, like that green belt, like he has the, uh, but it, it shows that it doesn't really mean everything all the time. If one of the other options is a money-making enterprise that is Ryan Garcia, but you can't depend on him. Like, let me ask you, can you, do you think Ryan Garcia will be back in February? Is he dependable? Obviously we, we just highlighted the, the mental health and the hand injury. You can't fault him for that. I've been the biggest supporter of Ryan Garcia, but when it comes down to it, it's hard to depend on him when it's just the nuts and bolts of it. It's hard to depend on a guy like Ryan Garcia. I mean, I, I think I do personally think he will be back because he'll rehab the hand and it seems like uh, his mental health is in a better place. The fact that he was ready to be, you know, go in this fight. If he's not, that's totally okay. And the last thing I'll say real quick is that it's, it's interesting because you're mentioning the belt versus other things. It's almost what Haney said himself. I have more followers than you, right? Well, it's like <laughs> the belt versus the following, right? It's like, yeah. what's more important and what makes for a more lucrative and interesting fight? Kern, it wouldn't be a show if we didn't talk about the heavyweight division. And we're not talking about Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. We're talking about Anthony Joshua. Uh, all, on the heels of that loss to Alexander Usyk, there was a lot of rumors about or a lot of fan outrage, media outrage as well, uh, too, that he should change trainers. He should change up his approach. He should do this. He should do that. That's sort of the MO with Joshua. Everyone has like what they think they should do with the guy. Uh, but he's actually listening because if you're taking a look on Twitter, he's got a little bit of a U.S. Uh, trainer tour or gym tour. He was spotted at Canelo's gym. He was spotted at Ronnie Shields gym and he was spotted at Virgil Hunter's gym. This is interesting to me for a number of different reasons. Anytime a fighter changes trainers, uh, it's interesting. Anytime the, a guy like Anthony Joshua, who has become so comfortable in the UK with his celebrity, so comfortable with his trainer, Rob McCracken, who has been his trainer since he put on a pair of gloves and he won uh, Olympic gold in, in, in 2008. But kudos to Anthony Joshua, whether he absolutely changes trainers or he's just going to pick brains of different trainers out there or different guys or spar or go a little bit out of his comfort zone. I like this move. From Anthony Joshua, and if you had to ask me, you had to say, who would you uh, tell Anthony Joshua to change trainers? I would go with Ronnie Shields. 
I think the easy choice would be Eddie Reynoso because I feel like everyone wants to go jump into the team Reynoso right now. But I think Eddie Reynoso is more of like a reclamation type of project. It takes a little bit of a time uh, to implement his game plan. I don't think Joshua has time because he's jumping right in with Usyk. Go with a guy like Ronnie Shields who has worked with heavyweights, Mike Tyson, Vander Holyfield, David Tua, works with the Charlo brothers now, is an offensive-minded trainer and also can light a little bit of a fire under AJ's ass. Yeah, they say, what, if you can't beat him, join him. Well, Andy Ruiz, he, he uh, went to the Canelo's gym and his trainer. It seems like Joshua may be doing that. It's definitely a good thing that he's he's looking at other trainers and, and kind of shopping that around. Um, it, 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 it was because when you look at his first fight with Usyk, right, it maybe part of it was the game plan. He Joshua was the bigger guy, and we kind of expected him to work behind the jab and move. And that fight, if you watch that fight, it took place mostly in the center of the ring. The ref didn't even have to step in one time. So you could say the bigger guy maybe didn't impose his size, right? And so maybe that is maybe that is a game plan thing. And it's, it's you know, the old saying is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it is broke, right? Because that's the second loss of Joshua's career. Um, and, and as a guy who had three belts in the heavyweight division, um, he, and now he's going for the rematch uh, with the guy that beat him. Uh, we saw what he did uh, the first time after he lost to Ruiz, right? He lost to Ruiz, and then he went into the Fortress of Solitude. He trained really hard. So I expect him to do something like that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if you go to a new environment, a fresh environment, a change of scenery, new people around you, um, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Especially if you need to solve this puzzle of Alexander Usyk, who is yeah. who's just a master boxer and um, – and, and the good thing for Joshua here, though, is that it wasn't like he was completely dominated in that fight. So most likely a good trainer could link up with him and at least give him a game plan that could work out more successfully in the second fight. Yeah, he went into that fortress of solitude after the Ruiz loss, but I did not like how he fought in the rematch. I didn't think it was sustainable. I didn't think that a heavyweight could win like that but in terms of his jab numbers. And you were there with me when we, we were with Anthony Joshua after the first Ruiz loss when he did that big uh, New York press conference. And I told him, you know, you're not the same fighter that you were before Klitschko. You were throwing power shots 60% of the time, throwing jabs 40% of the time. Since that Klitschko fight, it's completely switched. He's throwing close to almost 70% of his thrown punches are jabs. And yes, you can win behind a jab, but you got to be a little more front foot. You got to be a little more, have that animalistic uh, tendencies in the heavyweight division, especially when you're going up against guys like Tyson Fury. Uh, If he does fight Deontay Wilder, I hope he does because I want to see that fight. You got to be a little more offensive minded. You got to get snap out of that jab first and then kind of lean back that that Klitschko style. It only works for guys like Klitschko. It doesn't always work for someone like Joshua. Go out and seek and destroy. And I think that Ronnie Shields can provide that. One name that I please, can we just stop with this one name? And I love the guy, is Teddy Atlas. Teddy Atlas doesn't really train fighters anymore. I understand he's like the go-to hard ass that's going to like yell names and and throw stuff at Joshua and like kind of just like whip him into a frenzy. But Teddy, Atlas, he's out of the the game. He hasn't trained anyone uh, in in a really long time. I think there are other guys out there. I think there are interesting names out there. But hats off to Joshua for actually, like, listening to uh, criticisms and then kind of taking it into his own hands and going out there. I think it's really intriguing. 
I mean, the, the biggest thing for Joshua is he needs to have that game plan that works around that specific opponent. So the second time around with Ruiz, he worked behind the jab and he moved a lot more. So maybe that's what will work against Usyk for him. If he still works behind the jab, but this time has more movement. It seemed like he was kind of just fighting in the center of the ring there. Um, the other part of it, the other thing he could try is just being the bigger man, right? You're the bigger man, the longer man, use that size, use that height advantage and, and try to overpower your opponent. Uh, Teddy Alice could be an interesting addition if if Joshua needs met, you know motivational help. The one last name I'll say that maybe could be good is Sugar Hill Stewart has done a great job with Tyson Fury, and he was he was good in the corner. Maybe that's someone. Oh that man, I don't know. Uh, that's too close to home because that, that's that's Fury's guy. I know Fury said that he would help train Usyk or he would help train AJ for Usyk. That's like Tyson Fury just saying legitimately anything uh, during fight week. There's a lot of intriguing names out there. I think Ronnie Shields. Uh, is the guy, but you know, AJ hats off, hats off to AJ for making it, it makes it more intriguing uh, for that rematch rematch with Usyk. All right, Karen, uh, that was five big topics. Boxing world's buzzing. There's so much to talk about every single week now from here on out till Christmas uh, to the end of the year, I should say is going to be jam packed. Enjoyed this time. Uh, enjoyed this episode. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Thanks Karen for joining and we'll see you next week. Another edition of inside boxing live.